Man, it's good to be with you today, Lifehouse, and so good to just worship with you and get to be part of what God is doing um, in your lives and in our church and in our community, and uh, man, yeah, it's just good. I, I don't know about you, I just needed that, that last few minutes of worship. It was good for my soul. And uh, with that, I want to thank Lori. I want to thank uh, her team uh, for, for leading us today. Thank you, Lori. Uh, come on. I, yeah. And um, also, if I'm going to thank Lori, I also need to thank Tara and Brandon. Tara Linthicum, not to be confused with Tara McCarley, and Brandon McCarley for leading our kids' house today so that Lori could be free to lead us in worship. Uh, and man, and with that, we just have an incredible serve team. We have an incredible lead team. And uh, just about everybody here um, serves in some capacity. And if you're not serving yet, let me just encourage you, go to our church website right now. Like, just do it right now. You can do it while I'm preaching. The preacher is telling you to get your phone out, go to lifehouse.info, and click on that serve tab so that you can sign up to serve somewhere today. Because... Uh, God is, I believe the Lord is doing a great work in and through this body of believers, but uh, we are a body of believers and we need one another. And uh, God did not call anybody to be an observer or to be a, a cheerleader. God has called all of us to participate in his kingdom. God has called all of us to participate in his body. And I can tell you right now that while some, some roles may seem a little more um, glorious than others, you know, singing or leading worship may seem better than serving in our nursery, but I'm here to tell you as uh, a father of three girls who've all spent their fair share of time in the nursery, I, I love the nursery workers just as much, if not more, than our praise and worship leaders. Uh, there's people behind the scenes right now. Everybody just look back there and look at Brandon leading. Or, or, he loves the attention. Go up, to him, go up to him after church and tell him you appreciate him. He's going to mute my mic. Don't mute my mic. Don't mute my mic. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but, I mean, every, every job here is important. Uh, every role is kingdom building. So get involved today if you're not involved yet. And uh, yeah, and then next Sunday, uh, to reiterate what Kristen was saying earlier, is our lead team appreciation Sunday. We are going to show our love to our lead team, to those that lead our serve teams. And I believe there's 16 or 17 different individuals all together. And they're going to be up on this stage, and we're going to cheer for them. We're going to clap for them. We're going to love them. Write them some cards. Give them some notes. Put some money in it. Seriously, because... Uh, Almost none of them get paid anything, and the ones that do get paid something, it, it, bear, it doesn't even cover gas money anymore. Uh, a few months ago, it would cover at least gas money, but it doesn't cover that now. Um, but, uh, you know, show them some love because week in and week out, they are here. They are here early. Many of them are here during the week preparing for Sunday, and they do it on top of caring for their families as well as working another job. So we just love them. Can we give it up for our incredible lead team? Go to your Bible and go to James chapter 1. Today we're going to finish up uh, our time in James 1. And um, yeah, I, I, I was telling my wife uh, earlier this week, like this message is good. I feel like it's good 
Uh, not, I, don't, I don't mean the message I'm about to preach to you. I mean the message that the Word gives us, right? It's good. And I told her, I said, it doesn't feel very uh, exciting, though. And I struggle with that because I like for things to be exciting, right? And so I was telling Carlos before church, I said, I'm going to need some courtesy amens. They're not going to be earned, but I'm going to need them just to give me that extra boost of, uh, you know, to, to, to cover up my insecurities a little bit. And, and yeah, there you go. So James chapter 1, say amen if you're there. Amen. amen. All right, say amen if you're watching it on the, never mind, never mind, there's no, it's not on the screen. Say amen if you're going to watch it on the screen. <laughs> amen. Just I was like, he didn't start reading yet. James chapter 1, if, you've, uh, if you're looking at a print Bible, you will see that there's a heading uh, for most translations over verse 19. And it's, mine says, listening and doing. And that's, that's the, that is the message in a nutshell. And what I'm going to do is, while we're going to read several verses, we're going to actually read through the end of the chapter, we're going to walk through these in three different sections. But before we break them down into three sections, I actually want to just read the entire passage just to get the completion of what James is telling us. And here's what he says. He says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. That right there is worth a sermon all on its own. In fact, I have preached on it here in this church before uh, in 2018. I was looking through my, my notes and I was looking through my old messages. In 2018, I actually did preach a sermon just on James 1.19. So you can imagine the challenge that uh, I had to cover more than one verse in a time, timely manner. But he goes on and he says in verse 20, Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. And just, just a quick side note here, James is not saying that it's not okay to get angry, but he is saying that there is an anger that honors God, and then there is an anger that dishonors God. And the majority, or in fact, all of human-rooted anger dishonors the Lord. You'll remember, it's probably one of our favorite stories because it's the one time we see Jesus like roll up his sleeves and throw some hands when, when he uh, runs the money changers out of the temple. But Jesus did not react hastily. A lot of people think that he just went in there and started flipping over tables and, and, and throwing hands or elbows, you know, because if really, if you're smart, you hit with elbows, not hands. Hands get hurt. Elbows are tough. Uh, don't ask me how I know because I've been hit with a few. But uh, by Chris, no, I'm just kidding. She didn't do that to me. Maybe after this service, looking over there now. But if you go back to that story, you'll actually see Jesus the word tells us he sat down and he braided a whip. Now, I've never braided a whip, but I imagine it's not a quick process. And so he took his time. And I don't know that the Bible doesn't tell us that he actually hit anybody with the whip. I want to believe that he did because that's what's up, y'all. Um, but the word does tell us that he took his time. So he didn't react hastily. And more times than not, especially if we go back and look at verse 19, we, we understand that when we react in a rush with anger, there is almost a 100% chance it is not the kind of anger that honors the Lord. It is human anger. And he go, James goes on and he says in verse 21, So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. 
and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. Now that's section one that we're going to cover in a few minutes. Section two starts with verse 22, and James says, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and then you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. And that's the culmination of section 2. And then section 3 begins with verse 26. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Did anybody else in the room besides me feel convicted just right then and there? Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, God, that it will pierce our hearts and and speak to our conscience. God, I pray that your word will do in us what we cannot do for ourselves, that it will restore, that it will heal. But God, I also pray that it will confront and that it will challenge. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Forgive me, but I'm going to reread as we go through a lot of this scripture. And uh, ultimately, if, if a sermon or a message or any teaching that is based on the Bible is devoid of the Bible, I tend to question the authenticity of such message. So today, you can't say that, though, because we're going to spend a lot of time right here in the Word. James says in verse 19 through 21, just rereading this again, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. So again, going back to that, James is really... Uh, hitting hard on what godly anger does and doesn't look like. He's also hitting really hard on us controlling our tongue or controlling our mouth. He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. You've all probably heard this before. There's a reason why God gave you two ears but only one mouth, right? Yeah, because we need to be quick to hear or quick to listen and then slow to speak. Uh, and, And... I was thinking through this and, and, and reflecting on this really for my own personal self because this is a struggle for me. And if you know me well, if you have spent any extended period of time with me or been my friend for a few years, you, you know this for reasons that I'm ashamed of. Right? I don't want you to talk about it after church. I don't want you to come up to me and remind me of something I've done. I haven't forgotten. I don't need your help, okay? Nobody is harder on me than me, okay? So back up off me. Uh, But I like to think that one of my greatest strengths and one of my greatest gifts is my mouth. I think that 
God has given me a certain ability to preach, to teach, and to encourage people. Uh, I don't think that I have arrived at where God uh, wants me to be. I think that he has given me a gift. I think that he has given me uh, some tools. But it's up to me to refine those gifts and to sharpen those tools, right? So preaching and teaching and giving encouragement is something that I work at. If you go into my office, I have several books dedicated to communication, dedicated to speaking, dedicated to biblical interpretation from a pulpit. And, and how to preach the word because I have a lot to learn even now. I've, I'm not where I was. I started preaching, uh, I preached my first sermon at 15 years old. It lasted all of 11 minutes and it was full of heresy. It was nothing but heresy. And uh, afterwards, you know, I said everything I knew and all of it was wrong. But I preached everything that I could think of. I had no notes. I had no cards. I had one Bible verse and I shredded it theologically. And uh, this lady in our church, Sister Mary Grace, came up to me after church. And, she, and I actually, I was ignorant enough. I felt pretty good about myself, just to be honest with you. But she came up to me after church and she said, it's okay, it'll get better, trust me. And she was trying to encourage me, but it was at that point I realized, oh, that was bad. Okay, that was rough, right? And so I've come a long way since then. And some of you would say, hey, can we go back to the 11-minute sermons? That would be fantastic, right? I'm sorry, you get what you get. And, uh, and, and, and I really, I try to be an encourager. I try to be a person. It's, I see things in people that they may not see in themselves. And I want to bring the best out of people. Uh, I grew up in a home. I grew up in an atmosphere where it was very devoid of encouragement. It was very devoid of, of good news and good feelings. And so I try uh, to be a person who tries to give what I, didn't, what I feel like I never got. I want to do that because I don't believe that beating people up and reminding them of how bad they are is what's going to help them become who God's called them to be. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't need to confront when there's reason to confront. That doesn't mean that we don't need to challenge when there's reason to challenge. But I am of the belief that if you will speak to people as they could be, then they will strive to live up to what God has made them to be. They will live up to that example, up to that encouragement. So, so I, I try to be an encourager. I, I, I love to teach and preach the word. Um, and I think God has given me certain gifts in that area. Uh, but my mouth, my words are also one of my greatest enemies as well. Uh, because I can get up here and I can preach and I can teach and I can be witty and I can tell jokes that you give me courtesy laughter for. And, and I can do all of those things. But at the same time, if you cross me or if I'm in a bad mood or if we have a situation where we disagree, the same gifting that the Lord has given me turns into a curse. And things start to come out of my mouth because my mouth will move faster than my brain. And I will say things in the moment that I won't even remember that I said those things after the fact, but you will. Right? And, and, and so I have to be careful. So as I read this, this story, or rather I read this teaching from James, it hits me right in the gut. Like I feel this. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak and slow to anger. The first time I got in a fight, I was in fifth grade, right? I was in fifth grade. I was walking into the boys' bathroom. And out walking out was this, was this other kid who was in fifth grade. But he could grow a full beard and had a driver's license, right? You know, he had, been, he had spent some time in fifth grade. And as, as I walked in and he was walking out, 
we, we, he kind of he kind of did this thing. You know what I'm talking about. Guys know what I'm talking about. We just kind of like, you know, it's kind of like that. Yeah, that's what's up. And, you know, in fifth grade, I wasn't, I was pretty short and pretty small. I know that's hard to believe that I wasn't real tall or big or, you know, intimidating. Um, you know, puberty was still like a decade away at that point, I'm pretty sure. And it wasn't that funny. Calm down. But I, because I was an idiot, I say, you punk. And this guy, I'm not going to say his name because he's still out there somewhere. I don't want him to come back for me. And, uh, but I remember his name. I remember what his fingers looked like. But he turns around and he says, what did you say? And it was at that moment I thought, oh, no. Oh, I've messed up now. And I said, I didn't say nothing. He said, oh, you said something. And the next thing I know, I am sitting or with my face is sitting in a urinal, like, because he's beating me up, pushing me into the, into the toilets installed on the wall, and, and, and the principal calls my dad, and my dad, I, I was in the office, and I could hear my dad, and he said, and my dad actually asked the principal, well, did he win? And the principal looked at me, and he saw the blood, and he saw the bruises, and he said, no, sir, I'm sorry, I had to tell you, he got the worst end of the deal. I got my rear end kicked because my mouth moved faster than my brain. And I wish I could tell you that's the last time I allowed my mouth to dig a hole deeper than I wanted to go. Can anybody relate to that? Am I, please, maybe you didn't get beat up in fifth grade over it, but you know what I'm talking about. And, and, and it kind of reminds me, I've told you last week that, or a couple of weeks ago, that James is like the Proverbs of the New Testament. And here's a proverb that's worth all of us memorizing today. Proverbs 10:19 says, Too much talk leads to getting beat up in the boys' bathroom. <laughs> no, it says, Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. And the church said, Amen. Amen. James is telling us that we need to listen more than we speak. And when we choose to listen more than we talk, slow to get angry. That's what he says. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. He's giving us, he's giving us a way, a, a, like an equation, so to speak. He says, if you will be quick to listen and slow to speak... You will, as a natural byproduct of doing those first two things intentionally, you will then be slow to get angry, right? He says, what, what he's trying to tell you is that a lot of times when we get angry, we get angry because we fly off the handle without knowing the complete story. We get angry because we don't understand the situation or we don't understand the person, right? And so if we would, instead of running our mouth, if we would listen with our ears, James is saying that slow to get angry will come natural to you. It will, it will become a lot easier to you. So James is instructing us, first and foremost, he's saying, he's saying take some time to listen to other people. I was talking with somebody the other day about theology and we were talking about different theologians and we were talking about different faith traditions and, and I told him uh, uh, some books that I read by some different people and he knows 
that I am a Pentecostal, that I believe in the fullness of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so he was very surprised that I would read books and listen to sermons by a few different people. And I said, well, first of all, they have some good things to say. Uh, I don't have to agree with everything that somebody says. I mean, you give me anybody. You give me an atheist. You give me somebody that, that, that follows a different religion. You give me somebody that I disagree with about almost everything. And if I will listen long enough, I will, if I do the work I need to do, I will find common ground. I will find something that they say where I can say, you know what, I, 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 I agree with that. And I told him, I said, you know just because I don't agree with what somebody believes doesn't mean that I don't need to at least listen to what they believe because if I don't listen to what they believe, how can I ever know what I truly believe? And a lot of times we don't like to listen to differing beliefs or viewpoints, whether we're talking theology or politics, right, or anything in between, because we are insecure. And we are worried that if we listen too long, we might get talked out of what we hold dear to ourselves. But I'm telling you, if you will listen long enough, uh, it will help you. It will, it will help your foundation grow deeper. And so what James is essentially saying on an everyday level, this is practical stuff. He is saying that you need to listen to people, even if you don't agree with them. Even if they don't look like you or act like you or talk like you, you need to listen to what they're having to say because if you, the longer you listen to them, the more you will understand their perspective. And just because you understand somebody's perspective doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to agree with them, right? But it does mean that you can have sympathy or even a better word, empathy for them, right? And you can relate to that. Uh, you know, we all think that we're right most of the time, right? We all think that the way we think about God, the way we think about politics, the way we think about football, can I get a witness? You know, you know we, all, we always think we are right. But the truth is, we're not. At least not most of the time, or at least not all the time, right? If we would take some time to understand how different people from different parts of the world see the world, see life, and, 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 and see everything around them, it would help us to broaden our understanding, to understand their perspective. So therefore, we would be doing what James said. We'd be quick to listen and slow to speak. It doesn't mean that we don't speak. And it certainly doesn't mean that we don't ever get angry. But it means that we take our time to get there. That if we're going to disagree, at least we're going to have the whole story when we do so. If we're going to disagree, at least we're going to disagree understanding their perspective, but still saying, I think there's a better way than this way. And then we'll be slow to get angry. So James is saying, listen to other people. But James is also saying, and you have to read the entirety of this passage of Scripture, he's also saying, be quick to listen to God. Because if being quick to listen to you helps me understand your perspective, being quick to listen to God's Word changes my perspective. And a lot of us, that's really what, that, that would do us well, right? If we would listen to his word, if we would read his word, he will transform our perspective if we would listen for him. And you know, don't tell me that God's not ever spoken to you if you don't read your word consistently. Because this is how he speaks to us 99% of the time. James goes on in the next section of scripture in James one twenty two, and this really, this verse is probably a summary of the entire book of James. He says, don't just listen to God's word, or don't, don't just hear God's word. He said, you must do what it says, otherwise you are only fooling yourself. 
For you, if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror to see yourself. Then you walk away and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Amen. That's good stuff. How many of you guys like burritos? How many of you are saved and you like cilantro in your burrito? There's a few Christians in the house today. And so I love cilantro. And, uh, but you know what I don't love? I don't love having cilantro stuck in my teeth. I don't love that. And so, uh, you know, if I go to Dos Bros here in town, which is a fantastic burrito place. A lot of people are going to go to Dos Bros after church now because I brought it up. Um, Dos Bros over Salsaritas any day, right? Yes. Amen. Feel the Lord in this place. Man, it's hot in here, y'all. <laughs> Anybody else hot? Is it just me? It's just, yeah. Um, that was a side note, sorry. Uh, I felt the sweat trickling down my head. But I love burritos. I love cilantro. And uh, I love going to Dos Bros, but what I don't love is having cilantro stuck in my teeth. And what James is essentially saying is that, hey, you go and you look in a mirror or, you know, pull out your selfie uh, f uh, camera on your phone, right, and you check your teeth after you've just had a burrito, and you see a big old chunk of lettuce or cilantro in there, and you just, you just don't do anything about it, Right? He said, that is how foolish you are when you hear the word of God and you don't do what it says. And people see your foolishness and they're thinking, he's got a big old chunk of cilantro in his mouth and he's not doing anything about it. And he even knows it's there, right? And let me tell you what some other mirrors look like, right? Let's say me and Chad are having lunch at Dos Bros. That sounds like a good idea. We should make that happen one day. Let's say me and Chad are having lunch at Dos Bros. And he tells me as we get ready to leave because he's my friend and he loves me and he doesn't want me to look like a fool. He says, hey, man, you got a big chunk of cilantro in your mouth. And I say to him, oh, it's no big deal. Now, how many times do we have people in our life who love us, who see something in us, and they call us out on it, not because they don't love us but because they do love us and we get offended and we get angry and we throw a fit because we don't like somebody confronting us with our sin and with our problems so it's not always just the word itself sometimes it's a spouse who has got the word in them and they see it in you sometimes it's a friend sometimes it's a pastor even right who sees something in you, you can't see yourself. Because here's the thing, we've all got blind spots. I've got them, you've got them, we've all got them. Nobody has arrived, nobody is perfect, nobody is not in need of a little mirror every so often, showing them something in themselves. And James is saying, if you see this problem, or if somebody brings this problem to your attention, and you don't do anything about it. You are a fool. Jesus says this. you got to think James might even be thinking about this story or this parable that Jesus told in Matthew 7. 
Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching, right, who hears, who listens to my teaching and follows it. So James said, listen to the word and do the word. So Jesus says, anybody who listens to the word and does the word is wise, like a person who builds their house on solid rock. Though the rain comes and torrents and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But, everybody say but. Anyone who hears my teaching or hears the word and doesn't obey is like a foolish person who builds their house on sand. That when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says that the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And so God's word, whether it's in his word or through a person who is full of his word, is like a mirror that shows us who we really are and what we're really like. And as you read the Bible, First of all, if you're not reading your Bible, chances are your faith is not even close to what it could be. If you're just showing up to church once a week or three times a month, expecting a sermon to give you what you need from God, to give you what you need from God's Word, then you are living spiritually malnourished. You're living in a weakened state. So that when the floodwaters come, like Jesus talked about, when the rain comes, your house, your, your life is going to fall apart because there is no foundation. And our foundation is built on the word of God. And so as you read your Bible, it reads you. As, I'm going to say that again. As you read your Bible, it reads you. And it shows you, you. It goes down deep. The writer of Hebrews says it's like a sword that cuts below your flesh. And it shows you what is beyond the surface. Because listen, on the surface, we can all look like we've got it together. Given enough time to prepare ourselves, right? We can all put up the facade and we can all look like super Christians and look super spiritual and come across and we know the right words, we know the right sayings, we know the right cliches, we know how to fake it until we can't make it anymore, right? But the word of God says, I don't care about your facade, I don't care about your mask. And the writer of Hebrews says, the word cuts below what everyone else can see and it reveals what's really inside of you. It reveals what's in your heart. It shows you your insecurities. It shows you your weaknesses. It shows you your sin. It shows you your failings. It shows you where you are messed up. But thankfully, the word of God does not just show 
show it to you and leave you in that state. The Word of God isn't just a revealer. It is transformational. It is restorative and it is redemptive. And so as the Word shows you where you have failed, it also shows you where you can have new life in Jesus. Where the Word of God shows you that you are you are insecure and that you don't know who you really are. The Word of God shows you in John 1.12 that to all who know Him and believe Him, He has called them a child of God. And so it reveals to you real identity, right? When, when, you, when the Word of God shows you that really internally your problem, you call it anxiety, but the real problem is you don't trust that God is really good. The Word says, listen, now that you know that, let me show you how good He really is. But you can't have that, my friend, if you don't spend some time in this. You can't have that also if you don't spend some time with some people who are also full of this. Come on. It's not that you just need to read it and let it read you. You need to be around some people who have read it and it lives inside of them. So when they speak to you, they are also, because they are an emissary of, the, of Jesus, they are also an agent of the word, using it and being used by it to show you who you are, but also to come in and to do the work of the word as well. As you read it, it reads you. James says that when we live obedient to the word, man, obedient, that's, that's a, we don't like that word, do we? When we live obedient to the word of God, that it leads to freedom and blessings. But when we don't, it leads to imprisonment and curses. You know, I'm proud to be an American, right? <laughs> and we, as Americans, enjoy certain freedoms. And I'm not going to go through all that stuff right now because somebody is going to make a comment about something that's inappropriate in this moment. But we're granted certain freedoms as Americans. Until... I break a law that endangers myself and or others and inhibits their freedoms, right? And in certain cases, it actually means that I lose my freedoms. If I, y'all forgive me. I feel real Pentecostal right now. Like, <laughs> got to chunk it down. If I were to partake of a lowercase spirited uh, beverage, okay, to a certain degree that it began to inhibit my abilities to function normally, and I chose to then get out on the road and to drive down the road and begin to display my inebriation for every other driver to see, Let's just hope and pray that I would not endanger or actually hurt somebody else. But let's just say I've done that. And if, that, if you've done that in this room before, I'm not, I'm not picking on you. Praise God for forgiveness. Praise God for grace, right? Praise God for, you know, you've probably served time or paid the fine or whatever it may be. But if I were to do that, uh, it's possible. I'm not exactly sure what the laws are in the state of Tennessee. They vary state to state. But at some point, especially if I did it again, I would lose my driver's license. 
And then I would no longer be able to legally drive uh, an automobile on the highways. Because I was living in disobedience to the law. And James is using that same illustration of saying that, that if you will do what God says, it will lead to freedom. And the reason why we don't like that is because we think that freedom means that we are not constrained by anything. But that's because we don't understand what real freedom is. Real freedom doesn't mean I can do whatever I want. Uh, real freedom is not the absence of any and every kind of constraint, but rather it is the presence of the right kind of constraint. As a parent, right? And you, you, if you've got kids, you, you know exactly how this could play out. And my kids are young right now, and as they get older, these kinds of things will change. But because my oldest is 10 right now, probably one of the number one, one rules in our house is don't run in the house. Jeez, I don't know. What, what is it about kids? They just run wherever they go. Like, I wish I could do that. I can't run on purpose. Much less by accident. Why were you running? I didn't mean to. That has never happened to me. I cannot relate to that. But the reason we tell our kids to not run in the house is not because we're worried about them breaking something. It's because we're worried about them breaking them. Because they fall down all the time. Because they run in socks. On hardwood floors. Pray for us. The reason why I have that rule among many other rules in our home is not because I as a parent say, oh, let me do things to make my kids miserable. Let me do things to ruin their lives. All the parents of teenagers should be amening me right now. Because these rules change as they get older. It's because I love them. And I know more than they do. Teenagers, I don't care how dumb you think your parents are. They are smarter than you. Because they see more than you. You got to bring Aiden to second service. <laughs> He's serving. <laughs> Aiden, listen to this sermon. It's so good. Trust me. He's a good kid, though. Um, and, and God is such a better parent. He's such a better father than I could ever be. And, he, and he's so much smarter and so much wiser than I could ever be. So why is it so hard for me so often, just like we sing in our song, to say, God, every, I give it to you. Everything, God. Do what you want to do. That's an easy song to sing, but man, it's hard to live. It takes work, right? It takes crucifying yourself, dying to your own desires, and saying, God, you do whatever you want to do. Your ways are better. I don't understand them, but they're better. And James is saying, when you will stop trying to do it on your own and figure it out on your own, and you will get rooted in the Word of God and allow the Word of God to, to protect you from yourself, you will live a life of freedom and blessings. So let me say it like this. 
you get two options as a child of God. You can either discipline yourself, which leads to freedom, which leads to blessings. Let me say it like this. You can obey God's word. You can discipline yourself. You can do what James says, which leads to you experiencing freedom, which leads to you experiencing the blessings of God, or you can live an undisciplined life. Or, you know, let me say it again like this. You can choose to live your own way and do your own thing, which will lead to you receiving discipline from your father because he loves you, which will lead to you having your freedoms restrained and your blessings limited. Man, that, I know it's not a huge amen right there, but it's worth writing down. It's worth taking that to heart. Because a lot of times we get mad at God because we don't feel like we're receiving the fruits of that relationship. And the entire time he's saying, listen, you don't have this in your heart. You're not living this out. You're not doing what I said to do. And so I have to limit you. You know, if my kids are running in the house, I make them sit down and be still, which for me is amazing. If somebody said, you have to stay home all day and not move, praise God. I'm going to speak in tongues, man. Come on. You know, I tell, I tell Julia, you can't, you can't do cartwheels anymore. It is like I just cut her legs off with a pocket knife. I mean, like I've just ruined her world, right? But the reason why I'm restraining her freedom isn't because I don't love her. It's because I see something she doesn't see. And it's because I do love her. Oh, man. Chad, you got your sermon for Wednesday night right there. Just expound on that. True freedom, I got four minutes and I'm going to take at least ten. True freedom is only found when we live in the environment we were designed to flourish in. And that is in obedience to God's word. True freedom is only found when we live in the environment we were designed to flourish in. And that is in obedience to to God's word. David said this in Psalm 19. He said, The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. We move on to, the, to section three. Verse 26. If you claim to be religious, can I just tell you that word religion is gotten a bad rap over the last 20-something, 30-something years because we don't know what it means. And we'll say stupid things like, I don't believe in a religion, I believe in a relationship. Well, that's religious, okay? Stop saying that. That doesn't make sense. The word religion in its most basic form, the, if we break that word down, the word re means to do again, right? And the word lig means to connect. Think ligaments, right? So when we talk about religion, we're talking about being reconnected to God. Okay? So if you claim to be reconnected to God, which we 
the reason why we're using reconnected to God is because of original sin in the Garden of Eden. We've all been disconnected from God. But because of Jesus, we've all been reconnected to God. You follow me? So, so if you claim to be reconnected to God, but don't control your tongue, mm, you are fooling yourself. In other words, if you claim to be connected to God, but you don't watch your mouth, you are lying. You cannot claim to have a relationship with Jesus, but use your words to hurt people and to tear them down. You are lying. You are foolish. And James says, your religion is worthless. He goes on and he says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. He starts off in the very beginning of section one of the scriptures that we've read about, talking about the word of God planted in our hearts. And so if you plant something, you expect fruit from that thing that you've planted. So let's talk about the fruit that comes from having God's word planted in our hearts. This is what James is saying here in these two verses. Number one, here's the evidence of God's word in your life. Number one, your words reflect God's authority over your life. If the word of God is planted in you, your words will reflect God's authority over your life. I've talked about this many times before, but it's definitely worth recapping here. You were created in God's image and God's likeness, and everything except you, how did God create those things? He spoke the world into existence. He said, let there be, and then there was. And the word tells us in Genesis, I believe Genesis 2, maybe it's Genesis 3, that that God said, let us make man in our own image. And the word says that he stooped down and he took the dust of the earth and he formed man and then he breathed the breath of life. So God took his essence, he took his spirit, he took his ruach, which is where we get our word, Holy Spirit, and he breathed that into us. So you don't even need to be a follower of Jesus. You still have an essence of the breath of God and you. you've still been created in his likeness and image. But for those of us who prefer Confess faith in Jesus and those of us who have received his spirit into our lives, we even more so have something inside of us that comes straight from God. And, and since we've been created in his image and since we've been created in his likeness, what that means is our words have creative and or destructive power. That with our words we can uh, build up, with our words we can tear down. And James is saying if you don't control your words, then and if you claim to be religious, you are foolish, you are a liar, your religion is worthless. The things that you're claiming to have from God don't exist. Proverbs tells us the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. I want to tell you today that if Jesus isn't Lord of your mouth, he's not Lord of your life. If Jesus isn't Lord of your Facebook account, he's not Lord of your life. If Jesus isn't Lord of your text conversations, he's not Lord of your life. If Jesus isn't Lord of your mouth when you're in the middle of traffic and you're frustrated and you're angry, then Jesus isn't Lord of your life. If Jesus isn't Lord of your mouth when you and your spouse 
are in a heated debate because we don't use the word argument in this church, then he's not Lord of your life. Because the tongue has power. Because you have been given power. Jesus said, wait on the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you'll have power to be my witnesses. So the first evidence of God's word in your life is that your words reflect God's authority in your life. Number two, your heart reflects God's love for others through your life. So James said, let the word be planted down deep. So number one, our words will reflect his authority. Number two, our heart will reflect his love. He says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. A lot of people take this very literally, and I think that's fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think what James is really trying to say is he's saying that the way that you show God's love, that you've been changed by God's love, that the word of God has authority in your life, and the fruit of God's love in your life is not found in how you love people who love you back. It's not found in people that you love because they love you. It's not found in people that you love because they can benefit you. It's found in how you love people who can't do anything for you. And if you will choose to love people who in no way can benefit you, who can't give to you, who can't even express love back to you, who might even be people who take from you, then in that moment you are truly showing what pure and genuine religion being connected to God really looks like. And the evidence of God's word is deep in your heart and deep in your life because it takes something supernatural to love people who don't love you back. So first of all, evidence of his word planted in me. My words reflect his authority. Number two, my love reflects the kind of love that he has through my life. And number three, my actions reflect God's holiness in my life. My actions reflect God's holiness in my life. Now listen to me. If you call Jesus Lord, but you live in sin, and you choose sin. I'm not talking about you make a mistake or you mess up or you, you, you do something that is uncharacteristic of yourself. I'm talking about there is a pattern of active sin in your life. I say this with all the love in my heart. I don't say this as somebody who has never made this mistake because I certainly have. But if you say you love Jesus and you say Jesus is Lord of your life, but you make a habit of choosing sin over the righteousness and holiness of his word, according to James, your religion is worthless. You okay? We're not talking about mistakes. We're not talking about moments. We're talking about patterns and we're talking about choices. And when you choose to do those things in disagreement with what his word says, Jesus is not Lord of your life. And James, not Drew, the half-brother of Jesus, James says, your religion is dead. It's not real. 
You're living a lie. You're faking it. You claim to be something on the outside, but inwardly, you're not. That seems so harsh, doesn't it? But you know why it's true? It's because He loves you. God doesn't give us commands to follow because he wants to limit our life from fun. He gives us commands to follow because he knows what we don't know and he sees what we can't see. And he says, I love you enough to put these guardrails around your life to keep you from doing things that will ruin your life. It just got real in the room, didn't it? Paul says it like this, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. To to give your Monday, to give your school life, to give your work life, to give your relationships, to give yourself to God for all he's done for you. Let them, let your body, let your life be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. Well, what kind does he find acceptable? The kind that doesn't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. That's verse number two. But instead allow God to transform you. How does God transform you? I'll give you a hint. Through his word. He transforms you through his word. And as you submit to his word. I don't mean submit to just reading the Bible. I mean submitting to let the Bible read you. I'm not even talking about the Bible itself. I'm not talking about a book. I'm talking about the God-inspired breath, word of God. I'm not talking about leather and paper. I'm talking about God speaking to you through his spirit. I can read this book But if I don't read it with the Spirit speaking to me through it, then it's just just a book. It's just pages. It's just ink. But if I will go to this book and I will say, God, even if I don't understand what I read, through your word, speak to me, change me, transform me, work in me. I told you um, a while back about how in 2021, towards the middle end of 2021, I went through an incredibly dark season of my life. You can go, I'll tell you about it some other time if you weren't here for that. And um, it was during that season, or at least towards the end of that season, this is going to sound so silly to some of you, but it, it, it's a big deal to me. I got really into premium Bibles. I joined a Facebook group where Bibles were sold and traded and 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 they're they're really nice like this one right here it's it's you can't go to a bookstore and buy this you have to buy this online and I'm not going to tell you how much they cost because I'm ashamed of it but everybody's got their things right I just have a few of them and this is one of them okay all right but I've got, if those of you who've been in my office, you've seen, I've got several Bibles, and they're nice. Um, they're made with real leather. They're, they're made with French paper. They're bound in the Netherlands, some of them. Uh, you, you know, these are nice Bibles with really good stuff. 
And this may seem disconnected from what I'm trying to tell you, but I was in this really dark season and I got really into these really premium Bibles. But something weird happened. I I read the Bible, right? Like I would read it. I would read it in the mornings for a few minutes and I would read it to prepare for my sermons. But as I started getting these really nice Bibles, I started reading the Bible a lot. Because I had these really nice Bibles to read out of and I didn't want to waste my money. So I was like, I'm going to read this. I, I, mean, I was reading Ezekiel. I, the only times I'd ever read Ezekiel was during like the yearly Bible reading plans when you had to read Ezekiel, right? But like I read Ezekiel for fun. Nobody can say that. Nobody's like, give me some Leviticus, baby, you know? And I, I would read through the Gospels, just, just read through them, take hours at a time and just read the Bible. And my wife will tell you, I didn't even put the dots together until after the fact that she pointed it out. That was when that season shifted. That was when things began to change. And things didn't change out here, right? Nothing was different, but it changed in here. Because I went from being a person who read the Bible to, to, for two reasons. I read the Bible, and I'm ashamed to tell you this, but listen, this is some of your story today. I read the Bible because I felt like I had to read the Bible, and I read the Bible because I had to have something to say on a Sunday morning. That's why I read the Bible. But I started reading it, and the more I read it, the more it read me. And the more it read me, the more it planted itself in me. And the more it planted itself within me, the more it transformed me, the more it changed me. I didn't even know I needed it. But because the word of God started taking up residence in my heart in a new and profound way, it began to bring me out of that dark season of my life. And maybe today you just need to to hear somebody tell you, listen, this this, this is more than a book. This is more than a bunch of stories we may or may not understand. Yeah, are there controversial things in the Bible? Absolutely. There's also controversial things in McDonald's french fries, but I still eat them. Right? Are there things I don't understand in here? Even after going to Bible college, even after studying it for all these years? Absolutely. But if I were to limit my world to things I only completely and totally understood, I would live in a small, small world. I don't understand how an internal combustion engine works, but I still love driving cars instead of walking or riding horses. Right? Just right where you're seated. No standing today, at least not yet. Go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands or nothing, but this is a time where I want you to clear yourself from distractions. If you're watching online, if you're listening to this after the fact, try to just be still for a moment. I want to ask you, what is God speaking to you today? Like right now. What's he talking to you about? Maybe you even need to just make that a prayer. Lord, I know you're speaking. Because he's always speaking. 
but we don't always hear him. So your prayer doesn't need to be, Lord, speak to me. Your prayer needs to be, Lord, help me hear you. Help me hear you. For some of you, he may simply be calling you to give yourself fully to him. To allow his word to dig deep into your soul so we can give you freedom and blessings. Maybe today is the day you say, God, I'm, I'm giving up that thing that I know I shouldn't be doing. That thing I know I shouldn't be saying. That thing I know I shouldn't, shouldn't be looking at. I'm turning my back on this pattern of sin in my life. And I'm telling you, I belong to you. That my life would be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you. That I would not conform to the ways of this world, but I would be transformed by the renewing of my mind as your word does its work in me. Maybe today, when I was talking about anger, there's just anger in your heart. Maybe in a person, maybe in a situation. And the Lord would say, you can give that to me. I can heal you from that today. And to all of us, myself included, I think he's telling us to give his word priority in our lives to change the words that we speak to change the thoughts that we think and to change the actions that we take so that in all things we sound and look more like Jesus than we do ourselves will you stand going to ask the team to lead us for a few moments in worship but I want you to continue to ask the Lord help me hear you help me hear your voice because he's got something to say to you today and it may be part of this message it may just be that this message opened up the door for you to ask him to speak to you but I guarantee you I promise you he wants to speak to you he is speaking to you what he really wants is for you to hear him and to allow what you hear to change you.